Good morning. Good morning. Hey, it's great to see you. I want to welcome Mobile guys. Thanks for being with us today on a great wet weekend. But spring is coming. It's a real quiet. I guess the rain is just has us in this sleepy mode. So I think I'll have all of you stand up and just turn around in a circle three times and sit down. Just kidding. Don't do that. Hey, if you have your device, your Bible, you can turn to Deuteronomy 7 and 2 Samuel 5. Deuteronomy 7, 2 Samuel 5. I want to remind you that uh, the next Freedom Class session will begin this Monday at Malbus Campus and Tuesday at Mobile Campus. We're going through this series. Some things may have been identified that you want to get you want help with, you want to get free from, I encourage you to go through this class. It's five weeks on a, on a Monday or a Tuesday evening. Uh, this is the final message in this series. We're in a series called Giant Killers. This is the final message. And we, uh, in looking at the different people groups, seven different people groups, we're coming out of Deuteronomy 7. So let's go there first. You've heard this verse read almost every weekend, but I'll, I'll break down the different people groups just to remind you what they mean, what they produce. Verse 1, when the Lord your God brings you into the land which you go to possess, he has cast out many nations before you. The Hittites, that's terror and confusion, which produces fear. Uh, The Girgashites, which is double-minded, unstable, which you you lose your confidence to, to move forward. The Amorites, it's a spirit of pride, which stops having you from having humility. And then you have the Canaanites, which is a spirit of greed, which keeps you from being a person that gives. The Pyrrhites we talked about last weekend, this group, no walls, no boundaries, so you're un- there's no protection. The Hivites, of course, they were liars, deceivers, and the deception is that the world or another system is your source. God's not your source. So, verse 2, And when the Lord your God delivers them over to you, you shall conquer them and utterly destroy them, and you shall make no covenant with them, nor show mercy to them. So I want to talk about the Jebusites, the last group. The word Jebusites, here's what it means. It means to trample down, downtrodden, dried up. Their purpose was to make you surrender to the circumstances and give in because you think you'll never get out, much less inherit your promise. Understand, remember, this series is about the promise God has for you, the promised land. So everything we've looked at in the Old Testament, we're looking at at foreshadowing to the new of having a purpose and a promise that we're walking into a destiny, if you want to call it that. So basically, with this spirit, you come to the conclusion there's no reason to try to even pursue God's purpose for your life. In the biblical truth in this whole series, the promised land is really your birthright. But it's populated by these people groups, the spirit or giants, and you have to do what the Word of God says. The Word of God says you must utterly destroy them, you must conquer them. Now, we've learned a lot in the last seven weeks, so we've got to move ahead. And here's how we move ahead, this last group. This last people group is probably one of the most difficult ones to talk about. But we, you have to understand before we get into this that you need to seize. You need to seize your birthright. You need to seize your promise. It's not going to fall in your lap. You've got to seize it. This spirit presses you down. This spirit produces hopelessness and helplessness and depresses you. Have you ever felt a spirit of depression? Okay. Most Americans have. The National Institute of Mental Health reports that one out of ten Americans deal with depression. And if there's family, there's a history of family depression, it increases your chances 11 times. Let's get closer to home. Let's go to the southeastern United States. Southeastern United States has the highest rate of adult depression in our country. 
The state of Mississippi is number one, and Alabama is only 1% lower than Mississippi. The southeast has, and this may contribute to it, the southeast has the highest rate of obesity, the highest rate of heart disease, and the highest rate of strokes. Let's get closer to home. Let's go to the state of Alabama. Let's go to Mobile County. Mobile County, the residents report the highest rate of depression symptoms in the state of Alabama. In the state of Alabama, 13.9% of the population report depression symptoms. Mobile County is 20.2% of the population is reporting depression symptoms. Baldwin County is 9.6%. And that's, there again is another reason why we offer freedom classes. This is something that's real, something we want to help with. Most of us, but watch where I'm going to go with this. Most of us have felt this giant in the physical realm and in, this, in the emotional realm. But what about the spiritual realm? How does all this connect? Well, I want to show you three guys in the Bible that they dealt with this giant in the physical, emotional, and the spiritual. The first guy's name is Moses. Look at Numbers eleven fifteen on the screen. Here's, here's what Moses says to God. If you treat me like this, please kill me here and now. If I found favor in your sight and do not let me see my wretchedness. Moses, the guy who led all these people out of Egypt, okay? A prophet of God, a man of God. There's another guy, Elijah, 1 Kings 19.4. But he himself went a day's journey into the wilderness and came and sat down under a broom tree, and he prayed that he might die and said, It's enough. Now, Lord, take my life, for I am no better than my father's. You know, Elijah, the prophet, here he is in this state. Jonah, we've heard the story of Jonah. But here's the other side of Jonah, chapter 4, verse 3. Therefore now, O Lord, please take my life from me, for it's better for me to die than to live. Now, this message, here's what I'm doing. There's two things I want to do. The first part of this message, I want to talk, this is what I call these, this people group, is the last stronghold. So I want to talk about the last stronghold in regards to these three men. And then the second point of the message, I'll show you how we overthrow the last stronghold. So the last stronghold, all three of the men that I just listed, they, they, they all had issues that came from this spirit, this Jebusite spirit, and they had a sense of depression. Let me show you three reasons why. Here's the first one. They had physical problems. Physical problems. Moses led about 2 million people in the desert for 40 years. That, that, that would, that would uh, wear you out, right? Okay, we're not talking today? That, we're going we're gonna to play the... Okay. Uh, Elijah. I mean, here, Moses is exhausted, right? And two million people, 40 years. Elijah goes three and a half years in a famine. And then he takes out 450 prophets of Baal. Then he runs 30 miles. He's exhausted. Jonah. He, he's wasted by running too. In chapter 1, he's running away from God. Chapter 2, he's running to God. Chapter 3, he's running, he's running with God. And chapter 4, he's running ahead of God. So these three men are worn out physically. That's when you're a good candidate for a Jebusite spirit. Number two, emotional problems. These men had emotional problems, issues. Moses, let me show you how he got his emotional, how his emotions are drained. He had people problem. Can you imagine two million people? I mean, they're sick of water. Give me a Coke. Give me anything. I don't want water. I, I'm tired of manna anyway. What is this stuff? I want quail. Oh, I don't like quail now. Let's go back to Egypt. I want that food again couldn't satisfy him and then what did he do he would sit all day long trying to counsel these people and they still complained and they were unhappy so his emotions were drained elijah elijah had a pity party 
Yeah, the prophet Elijah, he's sitting there with his eyes on himself. I must die. I'm the only one that really loves God. Nobody else loves God. And it wasn't true. There were still thousands of people not bowed to Baal. He's trapped in this place and feeling sorry for himself. And Jonah, Jonah has a pouting problem. Have you ever pouted since being an adult? Yeah. Listen to what he did. He built a pouting booth. And, and, he, and he sits in it. Yeah, that's, that's pretty strong. All right, he's got a pouting booth. His eyes are on the circumstances because he's not happy with God. God, you're not doing things the way I want you to do them. What did God tell him to do? He said, go to these people in Nineveh and preach and tell them my judgment's coming if they don't repent. Guess what? They repented. But that's not what Jonah wanted. He wanted them to suffer judgment because they were mean people, what they did to the people in the past. So he's angry. So they had physical problems, emotional problems. Now look at their spiritual problems. Physical, because you see, when physical problems are there and emotional problems are there, it gives way for your spiritual problems, your spiritual, your spiritual life to be attacked by this spirit. Because, when, because, see, in this state, all three of these men, their eyes are not on God. Their eyes are on people. Their eyes are on themselves. Their eyes, they're, they're, they're pouting. I didn't get what I wanted. And, and so here they have physical and emotional problems. Now they've opened the door to spiritual problems. And these guys, they're, they're men of God. They're prophets of God. They love God. God loves them. And the enemy knows exactly when he should come along and apply pressure to your life. I, I look at it when we're, when we're overwhelmed physically and we're overwhelmed emotionally, it's kind of like we're in quicksand. And the enemy comes by and he just puts his foot on your head to help you go down. So in this series, we're talking about the promises of God. And, you say, and, and you're thinking, man, this, this, this people group, this, this is kind of bummer or downer to be talking about this people group because I'm kind of high and motivated about what's going on. Understand, this is where this spirit starts to operate, in high places. Because I, I, I just call it myself, I, I just call it post-adrenaline depression. I mean, we've got all these events. We've got this great event. We've got this. We've got a new job, a new, a, a new uh, this or that, and we, we get victory over it, and, man, we've achieved, and here we are, and then we have a tendency to relax. And we think, man, this is great. That giant must have run off. No, he's regrouping for an, a counterattack. But if we drop our guard because we want to relax or we're tired and we're fatigued, we're weary, we faint, he attacks. That's what he did to Elijah. But the day before, Elijah's on the mountaintop. The fire's falling from heaven, and he's taken out 450 prophets of Baal. Hours later, he goes from the showdown on the mountain to the letdown on the bottom of the mountain. Then he says to God, put me down. I want to die. Jonah he goes to this place of arguing with God and finally repents and does what God tells him to do. He sees an entire city turn to God. I, I don't think any of us have ever seen that. There were about a million people living in Nineveh, and they all turned to God. Wow, that, that's incredible. But then all of a sudden, he, he, he's built and sitting in a pouting booth, praying to die. The recipe for spiritual depression is physical exhaustion plus emotional stirring, and you're pouting because you didn't get your way. All of these open us up for this spirit to attach to our spirit and bring depression to our spirit man. Here's God's solution for these three men. All prayed to die. Aren't you glad God doesn't answer your, all your prayers? Amen. If he'd have answered their prayers, I mean, you think about what we would not have in the Bible now. <laughs> you know, all these guys contributed. They're prophets. Look at what we would have missed out. You see, God knew these men. He loved these men, and, and he didn't want to do that to them. That wasn't his plan because God did not mistake the moment for the man. And so here's, God, here's what God did. He gave Moses 70 elders to help him. He gave Elijah a vacation. I mean, you know, vacations are good. Jesus had seven vacations in three and a half years on the earth. I like those numbers. That's good. 
God gave Jonah a shelter with a shade on top of it. I guess after being in the belly of a fish, anything will satisfy you. But now he's happy. He's got a shelter with a top on it. That affected their physical and emotional needs. What about their spiritual needs, these three men? Well, God gave Moses a promise. I'm going to take my people out of slavery and bondage. I'm going to give you a promised land, and it's going to prosper, and it's going to, you're going to be blessed, and it's a wonderful place to be. And watch, my words are going to come true. God gave Elijah a revelation. I mean, remember, Elijah's on a mountaintop, and, and here comes an earthquake, wind, and fire. God's not in it, but God's in a small, still voice. And here's what he's saying to him. Listen, Elijah, I'm going to get you out of the past because I've, I've got something new for you to move into, a new revelation, a new place. Jonah, he gave Jonah a new perspective. In other words, he exchanged his pouting for compassion. Now Jonah has compassion for people. So here are three pictures of how spiritual depression works in godly men and how God worked to heal them. We, we are, when we are physically exhausted, emotionally spent, spiritually run down, here's what we do when we're in that place. Our eyes are on people, our eyes are on ourselves, and our circumstances are overwhelming. We lose sight of God. Now we're an open door for this spirit to operate. Listen, this spirit operates today in our world. And I, I'm not here to get into the physical and the emotional part. I'm here to talk about the spiritual part of it. So here's the second point of the message. How do you overthrow this last stronghold? This is what I call the last stronghold. Now, you'll see why in a minute. Because anything worthwhile in the kingdom of God, you have to, it has to be taken out of the enemy's hands. See, you, you have a promise. You could call it a divine destiny. But I can promise you, when you find a king to serve, Jesus, you will find a giant to fight. There is a giant out there trying to stop you from stepping into your promises, into your destiny, into your purpose. Your inheritance, though, your promise it's your birthright. It's your, you will never inherit the birthright unless you take it. It's not going to fall in your lap. You have to be aggressive. Now, let's go and talk about this, these people a little more, the Jebusites. The original name of the ancient Jerusalem was Jebus. It was inhabited by the Jebusites. No one had ever conquered them, even Joshua. This is on Joshua's list. He, 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 he doesn't conquer them. And it has to fast forward all the, way, all the way to David's time. So here's this group. They come from the tribe of Benjamin. They lived in a fortress on top of Mount Zion, and they had the reputation of being impregnable. Nobody could take out the Jebusites. So you fast forward, you find David. What is David doing? He's just been crowned the king of Israel. Well, what's the problem with that? Well, he is in Judah. He's supposed to be in Israel. The Jebusites are camped out in Israel. Today, it's where Jerusalem is. They're there, and it's, it's elevated, and it's high, and it's, it, it's on top of a mountain, 70 acres, and there they are. They're controlling it. And so here's, here's David. My promised land, my promise is 14 years earlier, God, a prophet, anointed him to be the next king of Israel, but he's to be king. He was, he was, he was voted in to be king, and here he is. Now he's king of Israel, but he's in Judah. So what does he have to do? He has to get out of Judah and he has to go to Mount Zion and take back this land and take out the stronghold. Zion represents a place of reigning and living in the fullness of your promise. Jebus was a stronghold. Let, let me, there are many definitions of a stronghold, but let me give you this one because it kind of fits in what we're talking about. A mindset, here's, here's a stronghold. It's a mindset impregnated with hopelessness that causes me to accept an unchangeable something that I know is contrary to the will of God. See, David knew he was supposed to be king. 
God sought him out. God anointed. He knew he was supposed to be king. And so if he didn't go to the next level, if he, did, if he tried to be king of Israel and live in Judah, that wasn't God's will. So David told his men, he's got this incredible army. That's what he's known for. That's what he's famous for. When he took over the kingship of Judah, he's got this incredible fighting force. He goes to them and says, we have to take out the last stronghold because if we don't, I can't reign there. I'm not to be a king of Israel and live in Judah. I'm not to be the king and live over here. I'm supposed to live there. This is the ultimate battle. This city is established, and these Jebusites established on the mountain called Zion. This is where, this is where David's going to build the temple. This is where David's going to put the Ark of the Covenant. This is where the capital of Jerusalem is going to be. The Jebusites had always resisted everyone because of their geographical location. It was almost impossible to take. It's elevated, and it, you, you just can't get there. And repeatedly, they had been trying try to, to capture the Jebusites, even Israel, and it couldn't happen. The stronghold of hopelessness presses you down to tell you, you, you can't get there. You can't get there. But here's what David knew. David received a prophecy from, from Samuel when Samuel anointed him to be the next king, and the prophecy, you'll be the king of Israel. So the word of the Lord came to David, promised him to be king. It's about 14 years later, and, and then here he is in this place. What place? The place to throw, overthrow the last stronghold. Israel's divided, northern and southern, and, 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 and he inherited a mess as a king. I mean, the country is all split up. He's in a situation that no one can make it happen but God. And David learned this, that victory is hidden in strange places. Even though the nation's divided, here's what happened. The north and the south, they both followed David. They saw the anointing on David. They knew that David was supposed to be the king. So they, they, they looked at the Jebusites. They had defeated them before. And they said, how in the world are we going to overthrow this last stronghold? How are we going to get to David to be there? Because they've been under King Saul. That's, that was a horrible experience. We need to be under King David. This, this is God's plan, the blessings, the anointing. Everything's going to come. So how do we do that? So I'm going to give you five things on how, how to overthrow this stronghold. Number one is overcome the past. Now, I'm talking about in the natural and history what took place, but this is a spiritual typology, analogy that we're rolling over into. Overcome the past, because history says you can't do this. You, you've tried before, but you can't do it. You can't take the Jebusites out. You've tried, you've failed, and, 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 and the enemy sets up this stronghold and says, don't even believe that you can have your promises. When that happens, it's a position of defeat. The enemy has set up the stronghold, and he's using your past history. It's a, he's using the pattern. And the past says nothing's going to change. You might as well forget it. But victory is hidden in strange places. So they go up against the Jebusites on this high mountain, 70 acres land on top, and, and the enemy has the best location. They can see you coming from any direction. And the Jebusites are so arrogant and so prideful. In fact, the Jebusites are actually born out of the Canaanites and the Amorites. Greed and pride, that's where it comes from. They come out of this group of people. These two groups of people merged, and the production of that are the Jebusites. And so here they are, and they're intimidating David and all of these thousands of soldiers. And here's what they said. You can't take this position. You've tried. You can't. We can put our, our, our blind people and our lame people on the walls of this city, and you still can't take this city. So how do we overthrow it? Well, one, you have to overcome their past. That's what, that's what the enemy just said, the past. So what's number two? You have to overcome blindness and lameness. You see, that's what will keep you from taking what's yours. Blindness means this, a lack of vision or perception. 
to even be able to see God has a promise. God has a destiny. God has something for me. I'm blind. I can't see it. And lameness is this, it's a place of paralysis that keeps us from walking by faith. So the thing that will keep you out of what God has planned for your life, watch, it's not necessarily the enemy or the stronghold. The problem is not that the giant is bigger than the God in us. The problem is sometimes we can't see clearly the vision and sometimes we, we can't see it so we're lame to move by faith and we lose the ability to walk and say what God has said is ours. That's what made, remember the 12 spies that went in? Remember the little guy, Caleb? That's what made him so powerful because he had clear vision and he, he was able to speak. No, this is what God said. Yeah, there are giants there, but God said that's ours. So it's not an issue of how powerful the enemy is. The Jebusites laugh at David and say it can't take place. That's the pattern of history. It can't take place. David's own men. Listen, he has an incredible army. The reason he's, one of the reasons he's the king of Judah is because his armies came in and protected them and guided them. He has an incredible fighting force, thousands and thousands of men. His own men feel in their own hearts, you can't take this. They heard what the Jebusites said. They knew what history looked like and in their own hearts. So David had to get, he had to talk to his men. David had this kind of spirit. I'm going up there any way I can. I'm, victory is found in strange places. And David looks around and he studies out this geographical place. And he looks on the rough side of this, of this place. He looks on the least likely position to even get up there. It's over there. And the only thing that's there is the gutter. I'll, I'll tell you what the gutter really is in just a minute. And so he says, well, I'm going to motivate my men. I'm going to tell them the truth. And he admitted to the men, hey, guys, this is not going to be easy. But people who succeed and overcome are people who find a way and make a way when there is no way. Did you hear me? People who succeed find a way when there is no way. And that's what he's telling his guys. And here's what he says to them. He says, listen, I'm going to tell you how to get out there. And whoever gets up there first, I got a prize for them. Now, this is not some little prize like we open up for the kids. This is a real prize. I'll show you what it is in just a minute. But the Word of God says there's a gutter there. Now, now listen, we know what gutters are here. Gutters are full with leaves and pine straw and all that. It's not a water gutter like we know. It's a sewer gutter. So here's what he's saying. You, are you willing to pay the price? Whoever will go up that gutter. And it's not like this either, okay? It's gutter. Okay, anyway. Uh, whoever's willing to go up that sewer gutter and get there, willing to pay the price... Who wants the prize? And by the way, if we don't get up there, I can't reign and rule. And you're here to serve me and the vision God's given me. That's the only way I'm going to get there. David said, I don't care what I have to do. I have to get up there. He made up his mind. I talked about the mind last weekend. He made up his mind. He's going to the top. Through the mud, the yuck, and all that other stuff, and nothing's going to stop me. So what did he do? He, he pushed past the history of, his past, of their past. He's overcome the blind and the lame now. What did he do? He just cast vision to his army. No, 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 no. We can do this. We're going to do this. He just cast vision. So what's the next thing to do? Number three, take the stronghold. 2 Samuel 5, 7. Here's what it says. Nevertheless, David took the stronghold. He took it. And then on verse 8, it said, David said on that day, this is in his speech to the guys, whoever climbs up by the way of the water shaft and defeats the Jebusites, he shall be the chief and captain. Here's what that means. A captain in the Hebrew is the word czar. It means he's, a, he's, a, he's an influence and a leader over a group of men. The next position is a general. In other words, whoever gets there first, you're going to get a promotion within the system of my army so that you can influence and lead other people. You're going to be in this position. It was a motivation. So they fought through the gutter. 
They got to the top. They defeated the Jebusites. They took the stronghold. But here's what David knew. Watch. And Joshua didn't get this. David got it. David knew it's not enough to get the victory. Once you get the victory, you don't stop there. Joshua, several times in the cities that they overcome, he would get the victory, but then the enemy would come back later on, and some cities, even a couple times, they'd come back and take it back. He'd conquer it, and he'd set up, and then they'd come back and take it back. What's the difference? Because when you, when you take a stronghold, this point number four, you have to build a place. David goes to the top, overthrows these people, destroys them, overthrows the spirit, and he begins to build a place. What's the place? He's, he's gonna, it's a habitation. He's going to live there. It's not enough just to get victory if you're not going to inhabit the place of victory once you drive the enemy out. So that's what David knew. The, the Bible says that when you drive out one spirit, that, that, that there's seven more that will come back. So when you drive something out of your promise, you have to do something to replace it. You have, so David, he drove the Jebusites out, and he said, hey, I'm going to live here on this mountain. I, I'm not going to have temporary deliverance from a stronghold. I want to rule and reign. I, I want the enemy to know that I'm taking the ground, and I'm not going to give it up again. Here, verse 9, 2 Samuel 5 and 9. Then David dwelt, he lived in the stronghold and called it the city of David, and David built, he builds up this whole city, going to build the temple, all around from the Milo and inward. Here's, here's what David did. He changed the name to Zion. He changed the name of this place to Zion. Right, right in the middle of his biggest strong, right in the middle of the last stronghold to keep David from being the king, from reigning in his promise, he said, I'm going to build a temple so I can worship God. This was the greatest struggle in my life, the greatest stronghold that I've ever had to deal with, but right in the middle of my greatest struggle, I'm going to glorify God the most. What did he do? See, the same thing we need to do. We need to hang the name of God on your struggle and call it Zion. Let's quit magnifying the last stronghold, whatever your last stronghold. Let's quit magnifying that it's so big and it's so powerful. Go ahead and hang the name of God on it and call it Zion. He renamed his struggle because if there's going to be an anointing in your life, it's going to come out of the spot where you had the most struggle. They had, they had to push and pull and drag and crawl up through the pipe, through the mud, through the yuck, uh, the, the fight of their life. What does that mean to me? That means that the greatest anointing comes out of the areas the enemy has fought you the greatest in. That's why he called it Zion. This is the biggest struggle. Everything he'd been through, everything he went through, from his brother alive, from Goliath, to seven years in Adullam, to living in Hebron with all of these guys and these soldiers and, and, and all of this. But this was the greatest thing he ever had to fight. And he said, this is Zion. What, is, what does Zion mean? Well, the prophet Hosea tells us out of Zion, deliverance shall flow. So <clears throat> when you take that area the enemy fights you the most in, out of that area, deliverance will flow out of your life to others more than any other area. You, you, you see that? Whatever you're fighting for, whatever that you're fighting for, when you get there, when you get victory, that's where, that's where the anointing is going to flow out because you're going to run into other people that are struggling with the same thing. David pitched his tent on the top of Zion. <clears throat> Here's what he's saying. Hopelessness and discouragement and depression, you're, you're not coming back here. I'm setting up shop. I'm going to live here. I'm going to live here. I'm going to start building. I'm going to build a temple. We're going to worship. We're going to build a city. We're going to bring the Ark of the Covenant here. And he made that place a place of worship. The place the enemy held the strongest is the place where he gave God the greatest worship. Are you understand what I'm saying? 
Have you noticed a lot of times the, the biggest stronghold, the things we struggle with the most? We, we, it has, we have so much focus on what the enemy has said in the past. Well, you keep failing at this. You can't do this. You can't do that. And we believe the past, and we don't put God's name on it and start giving God thanks and praise and glory in spite of what the enemy says. That's exactly what David do, so, did. So what did he do? He went past history. He, went, he, he took care of the blindness and the lameness. He took control. Then he built a place, and here's the last thing he did, and then I'm, I'm finished. Number five, he moved and dwelled in the promise. He moved on and dwelled in the promise, 2 Samuel 5 and 10. So David went on and became great, and the Lord God of hosts was with him. <clears throat> he went on, and that's what you've got to do. Quit living in the past, lose the past. If you live in the past, it defeats you. He went on, he became strong, grew great in the Lord, and all because a man refused to allow defeat in his life, he attacked the stronghold the enemy said, you'll never be free from. You're never getting in your promise. You're never going to see the promise of a healthy marriage. You're never going to see the promise of financial success. You're never going to see health in your body. You're never going to see any of that. But, but understand this. How does that work for us today? The blood of Jesus Christ sets us free from every stronghold, and the very area the enemy holds strongest in your life is the area that God can get the greatest glory from. And can become that place can become the greatest anointing in your life. That's why David sat on the throne. And the area he had to fight the hardest for, he sits on the throne. So, and, and, and listen to me. It's not going to come easy. It's not going to just fall in your lap. It, 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 there's a gutter you got to get up. There, there, there's stuff you got to go through. You got you to you want it. You got to say, I want this. I'm not going to give up. And, and then, you know, you, you, you've got to forget the enemy saying you can't. Yeah, there's readiness and qualifications, and they're essential. You, but you have to assert yourself fully to possess it. David did not bother to reason with the Jebusites. We talked about covenant last week. He didn't negotiate with them. He didn't set up a covenant with them. He didn't try to have conversations with them or, 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 or hold a legal hearing. These guys are here illegally. No, he, he just took them out. He destroyed them. He knocked them off the mountain, if you please. He, he take, and he took back what belonged to him and to God. Listen. You have an inheritance and a birthright through Jesus Christ. But the day has come. You must seize the possession and control of your promises from God. So we must not only put our bodies, the physical and the emotional, where the promises are, but we need to put the spiritual birthright there. Yes, we need the physical renewed. Yes, with the emotions healthy. But we need to take the spiritual away from the giant. We need to dwell in your promise and call it yours. With scripture we read a while ago, David dwelt and he called it the city of David. The word called, he called it the city of David. The word called in the Hebrew means to seat oneself in the proper seat. David, after 15 years, takes the proper seat. He sat down in the ordained place of authority to dwell in his destiny, his promises, and his fortress. When you get there, watch, this is why it's so important. When he gets there, I'm telling you, he's been struggling. He's seven years in a doolum. He's, he, he's living off of nothing, nothing but honor and glory to God in his heart, and he's pushing through, but I, God's promise is this, and I'm not going to give up. I'm going to get my promise. When he gets there, the blessings start coming. He built, ordered his life around the promises. But here's what we have to understand. You don't make God accommodate you. You accommodate God. 
So many people want God just to drop it in your lap, and there it is. No, you have to accommodate God. What did he do? He accommodated the desire and the purpose in his heart God put there. And when he gets there, he gets in that seat. He's been loyal. Here come the blessings. Now, all of a sudden, this nation has changed. Today, David, king of Israel, one of the greatest kings in the history of Israel, everything starts happening. And here's why. The verse we read, David went on and became great. And the Lord God of hosts was with him. David disciplined his life around this promise that he had. David's task was on. He he pursued it. He made God his given, his his promise, his lifestyle for God. The verse said, David grew great and the Lord of hosts was with him. The word was is not in the original text. So here's how it reads. And David grew great and the Lord of hosts with him. Here's what that means. Listen, this is really important and I'm done. Greatness is conformity to destiny. You want to be great in God's eyes. You want to be great. Then what you're going to do is you're going to conform and pursue his promise. And you get in his promise. You get in his destiny. You get there. And, 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 and God, you have to understand. Then all here come the blessings. Here comes everything set up for you to start living where God. And that is greatness to God. What man says is great is not necessarily great. What's great to God is, hey, they pursued the promise. Hey, they went after their purpose and their destiny. They didn't give up. They fought for something greater than their eyes on people, their eyes on self, their eyes on circumstances. They went after what God had put in their heart, and they grew great. And and God knows. Here's what God knows. If he helps you overcome every obstacle and he brings you to your promise, in other words, he knew if he brought David to his promise, king of Israel, then David would bring God to Israel. God loved Israel so much, he wanted to deliver them through David. God loves America so much, he wants to deliver them through you. And if you dare to pledge your life to the presence of God into this world, then God will declare himself to bringing you into your promise and the blessings and the favor and the anointing of God will be on you. So here's here's, here's the end. If you're a believer out of this series, I know it's a long series. Out of this series, if you're a believer, I pray you have a new perspective a fresh revelation, a renewed promise on your journey that you can complete it successfully, that you can fulfill what God's called you to fulfill. Don't settle in. Don't back off. Don't give up. Your God is the one who has given you promises that he wants you to walk in. When you walk in them, here come the blessings, here come the benedictions, here comes everything that you need. If you're an unbeliever listening to me, life is tough. Life can be depressing, especially when you get to the place you start questioning, what's my life's purpose? You need a change of perspective. And without eternal perspective change, life here has no real meaning or significance. You can kid yourself. You can believe something else. But until you have an eternal change, until Christ becomes Lord of your life, Life here is just, what is my purpose? God has a purpose. He has a significance. And, he, and, I, and I pray that through this message, through these messages, that you have received fresh perspective and a revelation by God's Holy Spirit that Jesus being in you, that he will order your steps and he will move any giant, any obstacle, any group, any, anything out of the way If you're pursuing what he's called you to do, you're pursuing that spiritual direction, spiritual depth. When you pursue that, 
you're doing your part and his part's automatic. It just kicks in because he's God. Everybody good? Lord, thank you so much for loving us. And thank you so much that we can overcome, defeat, and utterly destroy any of the enemy and his spirits that come against us. And they come against us because they're trying to stop us from fulfilling our purpose, our promise from you. They're trying to stop us and let us just sit and maintain, sit under a broom tree, sit in pout, sit, sit in a place where we want to give up and quit on a spiritual life. Lord, I pray that you will turn our eyes toward you, that you will give us clear vision, and you'll give us the ability to walk by faith and everything you've said and everything you've promised over our lives, we'll see it happen. All for the glory of God. And the church said, Amen. and the church said, Amen. Amen. God bless you.